Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hi everyone, welcome to our uh, online service. It's great to have you join in again today. Uh, I hope you're all coping well with the ongoing restrictions. Just want to remind you that if uh, any of you are struggling, uh, please be encouraged to get in contact with one of your elders. Uh, or if you're not a member, um, feel free to contact uh, Bill or myself, uh, email, call. Uh, we'd love to talk with you and um, pray with you. In fact, speaking of prayer, uh, last week we began a new sermon series called Praying God's Promises uh, with the Psalms. And uh, we're learning how to pray uh, from the Psalms, because if you want to learn how to pray, the Psalms is definitely the place to go. Uh, the Lord's Prayer will teach us what to pray for, but the Psalms teach us how to pray. And so that's one of the main aims of this series uh, in this series, we're looking particularly at God's promises in the Psalms so that we can learn to pray in line with them. And so last week, we looked at God's uh, promise of protection. Today, we're going to look at God's promise to answer our prayers. So to do that, we're going to hear from Psalm 17. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up, Psalm 17. Uh, before I read it, though, um, I'll pray. Let's uh, come before God. Our Heavenly Father, we just praise you for this day. We praise you for that we have the opportunity to hear from your word. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your word, for your word is true. Uh, your word is uh, a joy to be able to hear from you. We pray that as we look at this psalm together now, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word, uh, that we would be transformed by it, uh, that our lives would be shaped according to your words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read from Psalm 17. Hear the word of God. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Saviour of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush, 
Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men, by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world, whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This is the word of the Lord. God promises to answer our prayers. He really does. In fact, uh, the Bible frequently states that God is far more eager to answer our prayers than we are to pray them. Now, I think we assume it's the other way around, that we have all these things we want from God, but he's the one holding out. But the Bible consistently tells us that God is more eager to answer our requests than we are uh, to make them. He promises to answer prayer. Now, there are some conditions, obviously. I mean, God is not a vending machine, just giving whatever we demand the moment we put our two cents in. Uh, He's a father. And uh, he's a father who loves his children. And as a wise father, he knows uh, what is best for his children. You know, that means that that he will usually give his children better than what they ask for, even though the child might not understand it at the time. Uh, Sometimes a wise father will even give his children the opposite of what they ask for and even say no, because he knows that if they had the maturity and the experience that he has, they would have wanted what he gave them in the first place. So God promises to answer our prayers, not always in the way that we might initially want, but he does answer prayer. And so the question we need to think through today is how can we pray in such a way that we can be confident that God will answer our prayers? Uh, Surely if we know how, then we will want to pray more, that prayer will be a, a major part of our lives. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able to pray with the confidence that God will actually answer? I mean, even if you're not a Christian today, Surely you can see that if there is a God who answers prayer, then, boy, it would be handy to know how to pray in the right way. Well, Psalm 17 is a great place to learn. Uh, Psalm 17, the title of this psalm says, A Prayer of David. This is actually the first psalm in the book of Psalms with the title, A Prayer. And it's a confident prayer. David is confident that God will answer his prayer. I mean, if you look at the psalm... You can see that it's structured around uh, three petitions. So have a look. Uh, So you'll see it in verse 1, verse uh, 6 and verse 13. Um, But after each petition, David gives the reason why he is so confident that God will hear and answer his prayer. And so what we want to do today is follow David's reasonings and find out how to to pray with the confidence uh, that God will answer. So the first reason David gives for why God will hear and answer his prayer is because he is right in God's eyes. David is right in God's eyes. And so that's in verses 1 to 5. Uh, It begins with a petition for a just cause. 
um, or a righteous plea, uh, David believes he's in the right. And now he's praying to God, asking God to prove that he is in the right, to vindicate him. I mean, from the rest of the psalm, we can see that uh, people, enemies, were attacking David. They were trying to bring him down in some way. He doesn't tell us exactly what that situation was. Uh, it could have been the time before he was king, when, when King Saul was trying to prevent David from being the king. Or it could have been much later in David's life where someone was trying to bring him down as the king. We don't know the situation, but whatever it was, he wants God to vindicate him, to prove that he is right. Uh, the end of verse 2, it's, he, he says, uh, Let your eyes behold the right. That is, I'm right. He, want, he, he's, he believes he's right in God's eyes. In fact, he goes on to argue his case in verses 3 to 5. So in verse 3, he says, You have tried my heart. And that's the idea of probing and searching, uh, looking for things that aren't right. It's like the time uh, when, when I uh, bought a house, uh, before I made any commitment, I got an independent inspector to go through and search out every aspect of the house to look for any hidden problems, uh, any, any major flaws or white ants or anything like that. And David is inviting God to do that to the very center of his life, the very core of his being. He wants God to probe his heart. Uh, that, that, that's to examine his affections, his desires, his motives. Uh, the purposes of the heart are deep waters, says Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. We don't even understand our hearts at times. But David says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me, but me by night, which suggests the idea of when no one else is around. You know, when my heart is laid bare before you. Uh, he says that even then you have tested me. And you will find nothing. No sin, no deceit, no evil desires, nothing wrong in his heart. He even argues that he's, there's nothing wrong with his words, uh, which makes sense because words are the overflow of the heart. Uh, but he says there, I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. Uh, and all of his actions, he says, are right. Verses 4 and 5, uh, he says, I've avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not slipped. See, no slip-ups. Uh, essentially, David is saying, put me on a lie detector. No, no, put me on a sin detector and there will be no alarms going off. You will find nothing. He's saying to God, hear my prayer because I am right in your eyes. Now, it's no surprise that some people find this a little bit troubling because this actually sounds like self-righteousness. I mean, how can David claim this? And besides that, we know better. We know that David was far from innocent. Uh, we know that David was sinful like all of us. I mean, he, he had mixed motives. He had evil intentions and he even carried out those evil intentions, especially with the uh, Bathsheba incident. And David even openly admits that in other Psalms. So Psalm 6, uh, 19, 25, 32, 38, 51, they're all Psalms that include repentance and confession of sin. And so David clearly did not believe that he was sinless. And so what's he saying here? What's this claim about innocence? 
Well, one important answer to that question is that David is claiming innocence regarding this particular situation. You know, the accusations that were being uh, made against him. He wants vindication at this time because in this situation, he knows that he is in the right. He wants God to prove that. Uh, However, there is still a bit of a tension here because remember, David is giving this as the reason why God should hear and answer his prayer. Uh, Here, the reason David gives is his blameless life. He's saying to God, you should answer my prayer because of my blameless life. And what we find is that is actually a principle that is found right throughout the Bible, uh, that God notices the life of the one praying. And so, for example, Psalm 66 verse 18 uh, says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In Isaiah 59 verse 2, Isaiah, uh, he tells God's disobedient people, Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Or what about the New Testament? 1 Peter 3 verse 7, uh, Peter tells husbands to treat their wives well, And the reason he gives is so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Uh, So clearly, the way we live impacts whether or not God hears our prayers. And so that should actually cause us to stop and consider the way we're living. I mean, are you expecting God to answer your prayers and yet you're living inconsistently with his word? You're living maybe in direct contradiction to his word Uh, If God was to examine your life, you know, like that inspector who came and examined my house, looking for hidden things. If God was to do that with your heart, what would he find? Would he find things that offend him? Is there known sin in your life? You know, or maybe some of our motives are not worthy of God because James says that we do not receive because we ask from the wrong motives. It's in James 4 verse 3. And so there's definitely a connection between how we live and how effective our prayers actually are. And so that's the first thing we learn from this psalm, that confident prayer is tied to being right in God's eyes. Uh, But the second thing we learn, not only do you need to be right in God's eyes, but you need to be the apple of God's eye. And that's in verses 6 to 12. So here David, he repeats his his prayer uh, for deliverance, but this time he does so as he rehearses the relationship that he has with the Lord. So have a look at verse 6 to 8. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Saviour of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now, this is a very rich passage. Uh, For example, that word uh, or that phrase, the steadfast love, wondrously show me your steadfast love in verse 7. That's a translation of that Hebrew word chesed. And uh, that's a very important word in the Bible because it's about God's covenant love. It's about his absolute loyalty to the one he loves. And that love is described uh, in this very vivid word picture in verse 8, the apple of your eye. The apple of your eye. That literally means 
the center part of your eye. Some translations even put it uh, as the pupil of your eye. Uh, But apple of the eye is a good translation because uh, it gets across the idea of of the preciousness of uh, the the middle part of your eye. Uh, You know, we even use this phrase today, uh, usually for um, maybe a child. You know, you've got a child you love so much that uh, you call them the apple of your eye. Uh, But do you know this saying actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10? And it's a, a saying that depicts God's love of his people so that he will protect them no matter what. And that's actually a very suitable metaphor for um, protection because if you think about it, uh, your eye, the very center of your eye, is something that you will always protect no matter what. Uh, it's so vital to, to us. It's so, it's so precious to us. Uh, it, and it's so sensitive that we are protective of it, no matter what. That's why it's so hard to um, you know, keep your eye open when the doctor's trying to prod or poke or, um, or even just to put a, a drop in. You know, it's just so sensitive. Or if something is going to hit you, it doesn't matter where it's going to hit you, the place where you protect is always your eye. You always turn away and shield your eye because it is so precious uh, to us. And so for David to say to God, Keep me as the apple of your eye. That's to affirm how precious he is in God's sight and how God will look after him no matter what. You know, the same way that we will look after our own eye. And that's why it's restated uh, in the second part of um, verse 8 as hide me in the shadow of your wings. Uh, We actually saw that phrase last week in Psalm 91. Uh, Remember the, the mother bird how does she, she will shield her chicks, even if that means getting burnt herself. So wondrously show me your steadfast love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. That's the relationship uh, that David has uh, with the Lord. And so this is the reasoning that David is using for why God should answer his prayer. He's saying that if you're the apple of God's eye, then of course God will listen to you. Of course he will answer your prayer. If you are precious in his sight, of course he will answer. You can pray with confidence. I mean, imagine saying to a child, honey, you are the apple of my eye. And then later on in the day, they come to you with a desperate need and you're not going to say, get lost, I'm too busy right now. Of course not. You're going to drop everything. If they have a desperate need, you're going to answer because they're the apple of your eye. Well, Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Psalm 17 assures us that God hears and answers the prayers of those who are one right in his eyes and to the apple of his eye. And that begs the question, how do you get these two things, which are really one thing? But how do you get them? How can you be sure that that, in fact, is the way God sees you? Well, in one sense, there's only one person who is truly the apple of God's eye, and it's not David. It's David's greater son, Jesus Christ. 
he alone had a righteous life. I mean, David may have been able to pray verses 1 to 5, you know, regarding uh, that one situation in his life, that that time when when he was right and and everyone else was wrong. But do you realise that Jesus could pray that for his entire life? From birth to death, he could say, examine my life and you will find nothing wrong. He could pray that about his whole life. He was right in God's eyes. And uh, that's why at Jesus' baptism, God the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's the father saying there? He's saying, this is the apple of my eye. And yet, did the father protect the son at all costs? Did he protect his son in the way that we will shield our eyes no matter what? Well, not at the cross. Because on on the cross, as Jesus hung on the cross, The wrath of God came down. The wrath against our sin came down and was poured out on God's beloved son, on the apple of his eye. Why? So that we, the sinful ones, can be saved. So that we can become right in God's eyes. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying you can become the apple of God's eye. You can become the apple of God's eye by putting your trust in Jesus. See, the beauty of the promise of the gospel, God's promise of the gospel, is that the moment you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, you are considered in Christ. You know, his righteousness becomes yours. You are adopted into his family. So now when God looks at you, he looks at you as if you are his own beloved son, the apple of his eye. And that's what puts you right in God's sight. That's what makes you the apple of God's eye, being in Christ. And by the way, this is actually what David ultimately relied on. You know, sometimes people worry that David, always talking about how righteous he is, but David's hope of being right in God's eyes was not in his own righteousness, not at all. Ultimately, his hope was in the righteousness of Christ given to him. And we know that because in Romans chapter 4, Paul tells us that Psalm 32, which is David's prayer of confession, in Romans 4, Paul says that that is an affirmation of justification by faith. God's gift of righteousness given to those who put their faith in Jesus. And we also know that David depended on the righteousness of Christ because if you actually look at this psalm, notice that uh, in verse 1 it begins with a just cause, which could also be translated a righteous plea, but it ends with a righteous position. David affirms a righteous position in verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. He's talking about a righteousness that's not his own, one given to him. And so David ultimately trusted in the righteousness of Christ. And do you see that that is the only way to have access to God? There is no access apart from the righteousness of Christ. 
You know, there, there is no assurance that God will listen to your prayers unless you are right in his eyes, which is only in Christ. Outside of Christ, you are cut off from God for all of eternity. But in Christ, in Christ, you are his beloved child. And therefore, you can pray with confidence that God will hear you and will answer your prayers. In fact, that's what it actually means to pray in Jesus' name. You know, we, we you'd hear that all the time. In Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, you see, a name is an identity. And so through faith in Christ, God identifies us with or in Christ. That's how he sees us. And so to pray in Jesus' name is to affirm that the Father hears us as if we are Jesus himself, the apple of his eye. I don't know, maybe you thought concluding a prayer with in Jesus' name, amen, was just some nice tradition that someone started up once and we you know, just keep going. Uh, but no, no, this is actually an affirmation of this wonderful truth that in Christ we are the apple of God's eye and have that complete confidence that he hears us and he will answer our prayers. Um, but there is another aspect uh, to this, which is the third point. And I'm calling this third point the apple of our eye. Okay, we just looked at the apple of God's eye. Now we're going to look at the apple of our eye. And it goes like this. If you're identified with Jesus so that you are the apple of God's eye, then that tr completely transforms your life. It changes the way you live. Uh, there will be a progressive shaping of your life going on that actually begins with the very core of your, your being, the heart, with your desires, with your motives, your affections, the things you love. It's being transformed. If you're in Christ, you are being transformed. And so slowly but surely, you're growing in love for God. Or another way of saying this is that in Jesus, we become the apple of God's eye. But that begins a process of essentially God now becoming the apple of our eye. God becomes more precious to us than anything else. And this is actually how this psalm ends. So if you look at verses 13 to 15, again, David brings his, the same prayer, the prayer for deliverance, the prayer for vindication. And yet this time, <clears throat> the end goal of his prayer is what? It's to delight in God. It is to become more like God, to know him better. So if you look at the verses, uh, verses 13 to 15, it begins by David. Uh, he he, he um, contrasts uh, two types of people. He contrasts those who are attacking him, uh, the wicked, those who have no regard for God, those who completely ignore him. And he contrasts those uh, who he calls those whose portion is in this life which is a very dramatic saying, your portion is in this life. See, here and now is all that matters. Even though verse 14 says, God is the one who gives them these good things, but they completely ignore the Lord. Uh, but David says in verse 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. See, that's the true longing of the believer. Seeing God's face. You know, this is like, uh, this is a completely different approach to life. It's like asking, 
what is at the center of your life? What is at the very center? Is it just here and now? The things of this life? Is your portion in this life? Or is God at the center? The very center? Is he the apple of your eye? Because if God is, then that actually shapes everything about you. But it, mean, it actually means that shapes your prayers. That shapes your prayers. Because if God is at the center of your life, then you ask for the things that God most wants for you. Uh, if God is at the center, if there's that love for God, if that's at the center of your life, then that compels you to ask for those things that will most glorify him. <clears throat> now, that is why the Lord's Prayer is so helpful, because the Lord's Prayer shows us what to pray for. Uh, and, and you know, God will always answer that prayer. He will. In Jesus' name, he will always answer that prayer. But God hasn't promised to answer any request we come up with. I mean, we talked about that at the start. Remember, God is a wise and loving father. He gives us better than we ask. Uh, He gives us what we need. But the more we come to know him, the more we delight in him, like David's describing in verse 15, the more we will actually ask for the things that he most wants for us. See, maybe at the start of this sermon, you thought that I was going to give you a secret formula for how to get stuff off God that you want. But Psalm 17 teaches us that what we really need off God, what we really need is more of God, Uh, like David, uh, so that we would have that longing to see God's face, uh, that he would be our delight, that we would be satisfied with his likeness. And in the end, as the psalm shows, in the end, that's what David most wanted. And that's exactly what God gave him. And ultimately, what more could you want? Do you want to find out what this is like? Do you want to enter into this life of prayer, of of coming to know God uh, more and enjoying this relationship with the eternal covenant-keeping God? I mean, if there was ever a time to pray, ever a time to grow in prayer, it has to be now. Uh, Maybe it's time for some of you to, to make that change in your life. Perhaps you've never had a time in the day where you've just set aside everything else and said, I'm going to pursue God in prayer. I'm going to learn to pray, learn to delight in God, learn to know him, commune with him. Maybe you've never had that. Now is the time to start. Make that change. Write it in your diary. Block things out. Uh, Or maybe today is the day that you might look for someone else to pray with. You know, find a prayer partner or Join our prayer meeting. But don't miss this opportunity. Now is the time to do this. Uh, Or perhaps the application from this psalm is maybe you just need to change the focus of your prayers, wanting to pray more for the things that God actually wants for you. But now is the time to do it. How can we pray with confidence that God will hear and answer our prayers? It's only if you are the apple of his eyes, which you are through faith in Christ Jesus. And see, as God increasingly becomes the apple of your eye, then you will start to see him answer your prayers in ways far better than you could ever ask or imagine. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Amen. Well, we're going to pray now. So I'll uh, 
lead us in prayer. And uh, we're praying the Psalms, so let's use Psalm 17 uh, as our guide. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh Lord, we call upon you for you will answer us. We know you hear us because we come in the name of your dear son, the apple of your eye. We come claiming not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness that we have by faith, Christ's righteousness. And in him we are accepted and loved forever. And through him we have this access to your throne of grace. Father, we pray that you would test our hearts today and reveal the things in us that have hindered our fellowship with you. Lord, we admit that our hearts are deceitful and our mouths have uttered words that are false. Our feet have not always held to your paths. We have slipped up in our obedience to your word. Father, we confess how, uh, how prayerless uh, we are, which just shows how much we rely on ourselves rather than you. We confess that even when we do pray, that often our requests are filled with self-importance and mixed motives. We often seek our glory rather than yours. We want our kingdom to come and our will to be done instead of yours. Lord, we admit that our portion is often in this life where we just live and act as though here and now were all that mattered to us. Father, forgive us for all these things. But we thank you that you always hear and answer our prayer of confession when we come in the name of your Son. O Father, wondrously show us your steadfast love. May your Holy Spirit enable us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. May we rest in him as our refuge, knowing that in him we are the apple of your eye. We are eternally safe under the shadow of your wings. May we be changed by your Spirit as he reveals more of the love of Christ to us. But Lord, we pray that in these difficult days that you would protect us from the evil one. Uh, He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. He wants to rob us of assurance and cause us to wander from you. He seeks to divide and to confuse and to sow the seeds of doubt. But we know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so help us, Father, to resist his attacks, to cry out to you in our distress. Give us that desire to draw near to you rather than wandering away. Lord, we pray that in these isolated days of lockdown, that we would make the most of this opportunity to learn to pray, that we would go deeper into your word, that we would come to know you better, and that our hearts would be reformed so that that to see your face would be our greatest desire. Lord, we pray for those who are really struggling, that they might find your grace in their struggle and would be able to testify that you are a good father who gives good gifts to your children And we thank you for the greatest gift of all, that the gift of your Son and your Holy Spirit who communes with us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you today. Amen. See you next week.